Hey everybody, welcome to episode 63 of Track Wrestling's Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirkatani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from frigid Cedar Falls, Iowa. Joined on the phone by the kingpin of the Track Wrestling Rankings, David Mirkatani. David, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Andy. How are you doing? Besides doing all right. Doing all right, yeah. It was uh, quite a shock to the system coming back to Iowa after four days in South Florida where it was negative 13 when I got on the plane to go down there, 81 degrees when I got off the plane, and pretty much a inversion of that when I came back. So uh, another about uh, 9, 10 inches of snow on the ground here when I came back and down to negative 18 last night. So it's in the heart of winter, in the heart of wrestling season. Not very many symp- sympathetic listeners for you right now, though, with your four right. days in South Beach. Yeah, it was a good trade-off. <laughs> it was good being down there for, for a little while. Great event, South Beach Duels, first time event. I thought it ran really well. Uh, no complaints that I heard from coaches and athletes that were involved. Everybody really enjoyed the event, ran smoothly. Uh, tremendous wrestling, and uh, I think we're going to see that event grow in the future. I think it's going to be a bigger event next year, and, boy, the teams that uh, were involved, they had a good time down there, got a lot of sunshine, Got a, uh, everybody got four matches, uh, it's good wrestling, got to see the sights. You know, I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but uh, Yanni Diakamahalas took us on a little tour of the Cornell pad. Uh, it's fun checking that out. They were Staying in, uh, I think, seven, eight, nine bedroom place in Hollywood, Florida, used to be occupied by a member of the Miami Heat, is <laughs> uh, what I was told. And so uh, they did it upright. Cornell, as we're recording this, Cornell and Missouri are both still down in yeah, South Florida doing right. workouts down there. They rented out Airbnbs and three more days, you know, which is essentially what these guys are doing. You wouldn't be complaining. So. It seems like it's going to be really good for recruiting, and uh, we talked about this on air, I think, last week. As a, a coach especially, it's nice. You, all your guys, unless there's some forfeits, are all going to get the same amount of matches, and it's way easier to coach them because you sit in the corner and they roll out one at a time in front of you. It's easier to film those matches. It's easier to study those matches. It's easier to do challenges, all those sort of things. So I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think it's only going to continue to blossom. I think it was interesting. One of the things that was interesting for me was just kind of surveying the coaches from each school and, you know, what got you into this? What were the, the drawing cards for you? And, you know, a couple of them talked about the weather and just getting a reprieve uh, from the winter and, and just the attitude of their guys being able to get a little sunshine and get that break from, uh, you know, the cold and, in darkness of the you know the upper Midwest here, and you know uh, Roger Kish told me he goes you know one of the things that he told me on on the first day of the tournament was he goes it doesn't matter whether we're you know in a gym in Fargo North Dakota or in a gym in Deerfield Florida you know it's it's all the same but he said the one thing he was really looking for out of this was a team building experience you know and just building that camaraderie with the guys you know in the dual meet format rather than being off on your own uh, in the individual format. And, and uh, you know, talking to Brandon Agam of, of Minnesota, you know, one of the things that was really appealing to him was making sure everybody got four matches as opposed to going to 
uh, you know, an open tournament where some guys might go 0-2 and, and they're done on the first day, and then you got other guys that are wrestled seven matches, and and so then you come back and instantly, like you got guys that are in different phases as far as recovery goes, and and what they can do from a training standpoint there, and and then talking to John Hanji from uh, Ryder, uh, he talked about. You know, when I asked him, like, what got you guys into this, he said basically left it up to uh, Chad Walsh. He said that, uh, wow. you know, one, one of the things that uh, was, was, you know, from from their standpoint is, you know, Walsh had been in, in the Midlands and been in the finals. And, um, you know, he asked him, you know, do you want to go back there or do you want to go uh, want to go to South Beach? And, and Chad uh, wanted to do something, you know, that was more of a, uh, a team building thing as well and you know something that was new and uh you know felt like uh that this would be a new fun experience for his team and so so that's what what got them into it uh will be interesting to see what uh, the guest list looks like next year because you know brandon Egham talked about you know wanting to go back and and i think coleman scott and and uh you know talking to some others as well that they they really felt like something that they want to do in the future and and brian smith uh you know it's kind of him and uh rob cole who kind of put it together from the get-go you know brian smith talked about you know wanting to make it more like a college bowl experience next year where they they get uh you know maybe some outside events involved like maybe to go to a hockey game maybe to go to a miami heat game things like that where uh it's it's just more of an experience rather than going to just a wrestling event and and in the tour of the Cornell pad with Yanni, uh, yeah. he talked, he talked about, uh, we, we talked about that as well. You know, you go on the road and you, you're basically in your hotel room. You're just hanging out with another guy on the team, maybe a couple other guys on the team. Whereas, you know, they're staying, like I mentioned in that huge house where they've got the entire team and, and just what a cool team bonding experience it was for, for the big red Missouri doing the same thing. And, and those guys talked about that as well. So, Good, good time down South Florida. I really enjoyed it, David. Uh, yeah, and you deserve it. And, you know, I saw some of the interviews you did, and um, I continue to learn from you just asking the right questions at the right time. I do think all those – a couple points you said, like those guys being in one common area versus just you and me in a hotel room. You know, that's a big thing. And I think that – I think they get the two-day weigh-ins – they sort of get the advantage of both, right? They get the multiple matches of a tournament, but not so many it wears you out, but they get the two-day weigh-ins. And then they also, there's something really special when you coached in college, coaching a dual meet and watching the kids really pull for each other versus a tournament. Kids kind of give up on each other until the finals because everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. And it doesn't work that way in a dual meet, especially because you always bring some extra guys the the camaraderie is really much much different so um i hope there's a way to keep all three events successful but i don't really know if that can be one of those one or both of those are going to be probably severely diminished over time i would think i don't know yeah it's going to be certainly compelling to see what what it looks like two three four five years down the road and what uh you know because we saw the southern scuffle take a bite out of the midlands and uh you know, there were some teams that had been going to Midlands that, uh, you know, opted not to. And we've, you know, seen some teams that have crossed over and gone back and forth. Right. 
Uh, but, uh, yeah, certainly South Beach did take a bite out of the Southern Scuffle in particular when you look at Missouri, Cornell, Minnesota, North Carolina. Uh, you know, four of the best teams in South Beach were teams that, that had been at the Scuffle in years past. And so, but that being said, I mean, we're looking at the brackets at the Scuffle, and they're still high-level competition down there maybe not quite the depth that there's been in the past but there's still yeah. you know it's still a high level event and and same with midlands but uh but they're not you know, as can, deep they're not right as deep. and Absolutely. you combine that with oklahoma state and north carolina state yep. doing the italy thing and um, yep yeah that you're not here getting very many awesome quarterfinal matchups like you used to that's for sure right yeah right well, among highlights out of South Beach, Mizzou went 4-0. Uh, we, we will talk about the Johnny Diakamahalis, Jaden Ironman match uh, later in this show. That was certainly the uh, headline match of the entire week down there, or the two-day tournament, two-day event down there. Uh, Minnesota goes 0-2 on the opening day down there, bounces back, wins two on the second day, but... Uh, it's kind of a shocker to see the Gophers go 0-2 and lose to North Carolina and Cornell on the first day. Uh, one of the matches in there that shook up the rankings a little bit, uh, 141 pounds. You had Tommy Thorne up, uh, I think it was like 7-2 on AC Headley in the third period, just starting the third period and gets into a crab ride position and kind of pulls him back and Headley catches his head and maybe the fastest defensive fall that I've ever seen called at the college level. Um, normally it takes like 10 hours for <laughs> officials to slap the mat on those, and it was lightning fast. And that's one that really changed the the outcome of that duel and, and kind of got Headley uh, on a roll for the rest of the weekend. He had a pretty good tournament down there. Um, ben Darmstadt, Cornell, we talked uh, at length about him in the past on this show as well. The 197-pound freshman uh, went 4-0 on the two days but he was down 6-1 David with almost two minutes of writing time against him late in the second period against Kyle Connell of Kent State manages to get a reversal picks top in the third down 6-3 gets a couple turns all of a sudden goes from down 6-1 to 13-6 for Darmstadt he follows that up with a win against Willie Nicholas a 9-0 major over the number two guy at 197 pounds so uh, big win for him um Switching over to the Midlands, just some bullet points from that. Iowa five champs. Hawkeyes made a huge surge in the rankings there, yeah. uh, going from number eight up to number four. We're going to take a little bit deeper dive into the rankings here in a minute. Uh, but, uh, David, as far as highlights go, from your standpoint, uh, what what are uh, some things that you really noticed from South Beach and Midlands? 41, Ironman Yanni D, because I have buddies that know I do the rankings, and they're like, well, here's what's going to happen. Ironman's going to beat Yanni, and then next week Jack is going to beat Heil, and then good luck ranking 141. Um, and so the first one happened. Um, the Bresser-Spencer Lee match um, was interesting. Um, you know, we'll talk about that, you know, when we get into weight by weight. Uh, Richie Lewis staying at 65. It sure seems like. And then no national. You know, what that did to Rutgers in the rankings is awfully significant. And then I think maybe the biggest surprise to me of the whole year is that if I was doing a certainty ranking on who I thought were the guys most likely to win nationals, 
the first three guys in some order, and I'll just say them by weight, would be Nolf, I'm sorry, Zane, Nolf, Snyder. And then I think the fourth guy for me right now would be Seth Gross. And I don't think yeah. I would have thought that back in November. Yeah, he's lighting people up right now. His, he's continuing to, you know, uh, increase the gap. And um, that would be majorly significant uh, for South Dakota State Wrestling to have a national champion. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. You know who else is widening the gap right now, David? Ohio State. We're going to take a look at this. Segway, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to take a look at this when we dive into the track wrestling rankings presented by Resolite. This podcast is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats from Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive Digiprint mat. The only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Well, David, as I mentioned, Ohio State stretching that lead out again. We're going to take a dive into the top ten right now in the latest track wrestling rankings. Number one, Ohio State up to 139, 139 projected advancement and placement points at the NCAA championships. Number two, Penn State, 113.5. North Carolina State up to three at 65. Iowa makes a surge up from eight to four. Hawkeyes are checking in at 63.5 points this week after having five champs at the Midlands. Number five, Michigan, 62.5 points. Number six, Oklahoma State, 59.5. Number seven, Missouri, 55. Number eight, Lehigh at 50. Number nine, Arizona State at 45. And number 10, Virginia Tech at 36.5. You mentioned Rutgers, David. Rutgers takes the fall from eight, or excuse me, nine down to 20. Uh, Nine down to a tie for 15th with 23.5 points. That was the byproduct of, as you mentioned, pulling Richie Lewis out of the rankings at 57, moving him up to 65, uh, and Anthony Ashnall being absent from the rankings at 141 pounds this week. So, David Mercatani, I'm going to turn it over to you. You can start where you want, whether you want to go lightest to heaviest, heaviest to lightest, or if you want to start with 141 pounds, Take it away with where you want to go with the key bullet points of the track wrestling rankings this week. Um, we'll start at 25. I think the most important thing to talk about is we did not include Southern Scuffle results at all. We did yep. these rankings on Sunday night. So we're at, we are recording this Tuesday afternoon after the semis and before the finals. None of those things have been input. They will be input for next week's rankings along with all the other results over the weekend. Just an FYI. Um, sort of the big movers at 25, Sebastian Rivera moved up from 11 to 8. Ronnie Bresser from 14 to 9, based on those guys, placing third and second at Midlands. I felt okay putting Rivera above Bresser, even though he took third, because they lost to the same guy. It wasn't like there was any head-to-head hits. Um, and then Zeke Moisey moved up from 23 to 16 for taking fourth. And those were really, and J.R. Wirt came into the rankings because he had a couple nice wins uh, at South Beach Duels. At 33, 
Uh, DeSanto and Mitch McKee, we flip-flopped them after McKee lost to Zach Sherman from North Carolina. Um, Brian Lantry, who had started number seven in our first rankings, preseason rankings, moves back into the rankings at 15 after making a runner-up finish at the Midlands. And really minor, minor changes besides that. Uh, as we talked about, Seth Gross um, widening the gap. I'm going to skip 41 because I think it's kind of the, the key one to talk about. At 49, uh, we moved Sertzis into the rankings. I don't know that he will be their starter, but he has the highest ranking credibility um, over Maruka at this point. He took fifth. Sorensen was first, Oliver second, Deacon third. Deacon um, bumped up a spot. Sertzis bumped up a spot from where Maruka was. And then that bumped Kaladzic down. He took sixth, and it bumped Bulu Wallen down, who obviously didn't wrestle. And Steve Blyes took eighth out there as well. 57. Uh, probably the big one here is BJ Claggin took two losses. Three. Three. Okay, Marcus Scheidel and, and Clayton Ream. And uh, who was the other loss? Joey Lavalley. He got okay. tech fall yeah. Yeah. in the second period by Joey Lavalley. Yeah, and and I guess in my notes I have that, but I don't count that because he lost. But it's right, he did lose three, absolutely. And so he took a pretty significant fall. John Van Brill comes into the rankings after taking third at Midlands. Uh, Mike D'Angelo comes in at, after taking fourth at the Midlands. And Justin Stoudemire comes back into the rankings after taking sixth at the Midlands. And Marcus Scheidel, I, I don't want to say he was ineligible. It's hard for me to imagine a guy from Columbia was ineligible, but he wasn't on the roster first semester. So whatever that would be, he's eligible now. And then Jake Short is doing Jake Short things and making it just about impossible to know where to rank him. He beat Scheidel, lost to Kennedy Monday. Um, Kenny Money's had some good wins recently, but he's got some really tough losses uh, at the end of the year, or beginning of the year to really make it tough. At 65, really, the biggest change is Richie Lewis came over from being number five at 57 to number 13 at 165. Uh, Drew Daniels, we moved up because he was undefeated, but that's not going to be the case when we talk about him next week. Jonathan Schleifer had had some good wins early, then took fourth at the Navy Classic, but he bounced back with a runner-up finish at Midlands. So that was um, a good win for, or a good performance for him. John J. Chavez lost to Connor Flynn, so that moved him down a little, little bit and moved Flynn up a few slots. Uh, 74, no big changes at the top. Um, and then... David Kocher had a runner-up finish. That helped him. And really, that's about it. Joseph Johnson DNP'd and Ryan Christensen DNP'd, so they fell down a few spots. So, But not much change. And kind of a theme I've seen all year, and you know, you helped me with these rankings, is the upper weights seem to have a lot less movement than the lower weights. Uh, I, don't, I haven't done these 15 years to figure out if that's a trend or not, but it sure feels like it. Um, big thing here at 84 was Gravina took sixth. So we, uh, 
dropped him a few or got hurt, so he dropped him a few spots. And Canton Marriott from Missouri is a pretty good body of work, so he moved into the rankings at 21. 197, um, obviously Colin Morden, Russell. This was kind of a mess, though, because Miklas... So this was tough. Miklas lost twice to Chade in overtime on kind of a questionable call from, from people I talked to, including yourself. And then he lost to Darmstead big. And then, you know, Mike Machiavelli, Mike Machiavello and Cash Wilkie moved way up. And I don't, you know, Wilkie won the Midlands. So right now we've got Colin Moore 1, Wilkie 2, Machiavello 3, Hot 4, Weigel 5. Just because Weigel's only had two matches this year. But he'll wrestle Machiavello, assuming there's no injuries this coming weekend. That'll help a lot. Um, Scotty Boykin is 8 and Kassar's 9. And I think they just wrestled. And then Kassar lost in the semis, and Shakur Rashid is in the final, so there's going to be some probably changes there. Jacob Smith took eight at the middle, and so that dropped him pretty dramatically, and uh, Frank Mattias took second at the middle, and so that helped him a little bit, moved him up five spots. Then heavyweight, and you and I have talked about this off the air, and we'll say it, I'll say it on the air. You know, we moved Sam Stoll up to kind of where everybody else had him. I had him low all year just because he has not been healthy and not been able to wrestle whole tournaments and they actually sat him out against Hamida when he could have dueled a top 10 guy but he won the tournament he beat Tanner Hall so he moves up right above Hall at four and he probably will move up to three next week with Neville's losing uh Amar Desi took six so he dropped from five to twelve and probably the hardest guy to rank here is uh, Matt Stencil. He's got some good wins, but he's got kind of some puzzling losses. But he's a freshman, and he's already got 30 matches before January 1. So, wow. Yeah, I think he's 20 and 10. We were looking up his body of work. I mean, that's that guy's going to have 50 matches this year. I mean, it's awfully impressive or crazy, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> um, so that leaves us at 41. And... Working backwards, AC Headley jumps in the rankings, but really this is all about the top. And so I'm going to give you my logic, and then I'm going to tell you why it might all be wrong. We put Bryce Meredith number one. He's beaten Dean Heil. He split with Kevin Jack, and he won the second one. He beat Jaden Ironman, and he lost to Yanni D. So he is... He has a winning record of three and two versus those guys. Dean Heil is second. The argument for him being second is he's placed 4-1-1. He had a 50-something match winning streak that got broke in overtime. He's the you know defending champion twice over, but he is 0-1 versus those other guys this season. Kevin Jack is third, the next highest returning All-American. He's only wrestled Meredith. Beat him in the All-Star meet. Lost to him in the regular season. Jaden Ironman is four. He lost to Meredith at the finals of Reno. And then just beat Yanni Diakamahalas in kind of a weird match, which we can talk about because you were there. Yanni drops to five. And I don't know that that's right. But 
if it was just Meredith, Ironman, and Diakamahalis, it's an A beat B, B beat C, C beat A. So that's tough. And then you got Joey McKenna sitting there at six, who really hasn't wrestled this year. So I was talking to somebody last night, and I was trying to figure out if which of these guys won out. Could you guarantee that they'd have the number one seed at Nationals? And I think, I don't know that there's anyone, but I think the two guys that probably would get the number one seed if they won out would be Meredith and Heil. Because Meredith would have would then have beaten Heil at the Big 12s. Heil would have beaten Jack and then Meredith at the Big 12s. Jack only gets Heil left of the top five, I think. And Ironman and Diakamahalas don't hit any of these other guys. But you could you could rank this weight a lot of different ways. And and this is not one where I have a hundred percent conviction that this is right. I think it is the least incorrect way, but I'm not sure one hundred percent that it's the best way. And you and I haven't really talked about this much about this weight. Uh, I'm curious on you know, and I guess we're live, but I'm curious on whether or not you think I got it right or wrong. No, I think just, uh, you know, initially sitting Matt side and, you know, in the hours after Yanni Ironman, you know, one of one of my initial thoughts was I wonder where, where David's going to go with this weight class now. And I thought you, you got the first two right in what, what, way I thought that they would be positioned. The question to me was what to do with three, four, and five with Jack Ironman, Diakamahalas. And I thought you could have gone a couple different ways the way you did with Jack at three, Ironman at four, Yanni at five. You also could have uh, gone the other way with Ironman at three, um, Yanni at four, Jack at five. But uh, to me, you know, there are no right answers. There are no wrong answers. Um, to your point about uh, – if they went out, who would be the number one seed? One guy that could really throw a wrench in this is McKenna yeah, uh, sitting there. Yeah. If he's undefeated, if he's undefeated with, uh, and granted the Big Ten hasn't been the greatest at 141 pounds uh, in recent years, but um, he would have you know winning, he would have winning percentage over all these guys. Yeah, yeah, he, he could uh, roll into Cleveland with a undefeated record. Then, you know, I don't know, I don't know what. Uh, you know the the seating panel will do uh, with that, but uh, I don't know, David, that there's going to be a more fun weight class. And we've been talking about this for a long time, but uh, man, even even you take a guy of Ashnault's caliber out, yeah, and holy smokes, it's still deep. You know, yes. when you've got you got Red there at eight, you got a returning All American and Thorn at thirteen. You go further down, and some of these like you know some of these freshmen, Thor, Karam. Uh, you know, potentially Nick Lee coming into this weight class, uh, Javier Gasca the third uh, in there, a guy that uh, was starting to put it together last year before he hurt his shoulder in the Big Ten semis. Um, so it's it's one that I think could be really wild, not just the rest of the season, but certainly in in Cleveland. I agree completely, and it, it is really interesting just how to rank this. That's right. I mean. I talked to Ethan Kyle about this, and he said to me, he goes, if you ranked Kyle one, I could see it. He goes, I don't think it's right, but I could see it. You know, just 
and that, and his his guy is really the only one that can probably get one at this point. So yeah, I mean that's how much respect they have for a guy that's won, you know, you know more or less sixty matches in a row, whatever that number was, just under that. Fifty-five, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I defer to you on that a hundred percent. So, um, but I think I you know I appreciate saying I didn't mess it up, and I do think. The, the one thing that unequivocally you're right about is it's going to be – I don't think you want to be in the 4-5 or the 3-6 matchup <laughs> if you're these guys. Like, I think you want to get to one or two and at least avoid a horrendous quarterfinal. And even then you're going to get, if it goes the way it's ranked right now, Josh Albert, Chad Red, which is, you know, no cup of tea on, on, on Friday morning. So, yeah, it's, that, that weight's going to be fantastic. I also think that moving Richie Lewis, it showed me, which I already knew, how deep 65 is. Yeah. You know, that he went from 5 to 13. You know, so I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, David, let's, you know, we we kind of glossed over a couple <coughs> times, but uh, Yanni Ironman was wild. It was a, a wild match. You know, I'm a, I, I, you know, I, I know, uh, Jaden. You know, he wrestled in my meet, and he's a, you know, he's a cool kid to talk to, and I know Mike. It felt like Yanni had that match really, really under control for five minutes, and then he was kind of hanging on. Jaden's really dangerous from bottom. I really think that seven eight minute delay on the challenge, or six and a half, or however long it was, I think that really benefited Jaden as opposed to. Yanni, for sure, but your interview with both of them was great, and especially with Yanni, because Yanni's like, I just gave the match away, and he goes, no discredit to him, he's a good kid, blah, 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 he goes, but I got to close out matches like that. Yeah, so to refresh, uh, you know, I'm trying to replay it in my head just to get scores correct, but uh, Yanni had a two-point lead with writing time locked up when they restarted with uh, 30 seconds to go, and, and we're trying to recover the archived part of the match, uh, you know, going back, um, the official stopped recording on the stream, uh, when he went to look at the video replay. So we're, we're missing the final 30 seconds, uh, on that. We're trying to recover it. So hopefully we'll, we'll have that here in the next several days, be able to recover that off the computer. But, uh, uh, it was wild. It, uh, you felt like Yanni had everything under control, even after he lost the, the challenge call. So Yanni was riding Ironman. They went out of bounds. Ironman came up with a reversal that was originally ruled OB. It went to video review. I thought it was going to be ruled in Ironman's favor because I, you know, I was sitting there right Matt's side taking pictures of it and, and certainly looked from every frame that I had like he was in bounds. And, and they reversed it. Uh, so instead of a 4-1 lead, it goes to 4-3. They put them back on their feet uh, to make it 5-3. Ironman needing two takedowns or a takedown and some back points or a stall call and a takedown to force OT. And uh, Yanni took a – Yanni had riding time that was locked up, right? Yes, yes. It was was, um, was locked up once they went neutral. Right. Uh, Yanni took a shot from distance, dove in, and Jaden told me afterward, he goes, I've never locked up a cradle that fast in my life. And, you know, he tried to run it over once, couldn't get a count, 
uh, ran it over a second time and then got uh, the four swipes. And uh, so it was, it was a pretty wild way for that match to end. And um, as you mentioned, Yanni seemed to have things under control for, for those first two periods though. He, he had four deep shots in the first period and Jaden had none. And, you know, he didn't convert the first three and he converted the fourth one with 10 seconds left and rode out. And then, so he was up 2-0, and then he got a reversal, and Jaden got an escape to make it 4-1. And then the scramble, you're talking about 4-3, 5-3, you know, then 5-9, and then 6-9 with riding time. So, uh, but there's so many of these matches at this weight that you could go, if they wrestled again, it could go the other way, right? Like, you know, Jaden Ironman, his argument is, I got the only takedown against Bryce Meredith, and I lost. So next time I just pick neutral. And, you know, I'm in a better position to win that match. Dean Isles says, but I'm not at 7,000 feet of altitude and somebody's standing on my chest. You know, I win that match. I've beaten him every other time. Like, the, all these matches are super, like, nobody has beaten anybody convincingly at this weight, even though Ironman had a three-point win. Like, it wasn't really like a three-point win, you know, like a six to, like a four to two with four minutes of riding time kind of win. You know, it was a, he won a one big scramble win so that's what i think makes this weight so intriguing no one the only sort of semi-dominance you have is Heil over meredith and that's historically that's not this season so yeah and then you even look at the meredith jack matches which have gone back and forth uh you know the all-star classic was tremendously entertaining right and then uh you know their last one was a 4-3 match too so you're right it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's it's almost a shame that these aren't best of three uh, series <laughs> yeah. and all these because it would be it would be certainly fascinating to watch. And it's not like you know some weight classes we've seen in the past where guys have gone heads up. I think back to all those Big Ten battles with Evans and Storley and Kokish and Matt Brown that you know you knew like if there was one takedown scored, you know in regulation it was probably going to be a difference maker. Right. Um, you know, most of those were, you know, some of those were going to just write outs and, you know, all we were seeing was escapes and writing time playing into it. But, uh, you know, man, these are action packed and there's, you know, points going up on the board. There's, you know, incredible scrambles. It's, it's just been a lot of fun to watch these battles at 141. And their styles are also different, right? Like, you know, it's easy to say this, but Jaden hadn't really sniffed Yanni's legs you know, the whole time, and Yanni's got stalling calls to give, you know, he's got edge play, he can, you know, play the edge of the mat, you know, and he did the, he put himself in Jaden's wheelhouse, which is counter-wrestling and cradles, you know, and, and, you know, all credit to Jaden, he locked that sucker up, like you said, as quick as he's ever done in his life, but their styles are so different, like, you know, Dean Heil doesn't shoot a lot, but he's super efficient on his finishes, you know, Meredith feels like, Meredith and Jack feel like they're the best guys on top. You know, Jaden and Diakamahalas feel like they struggle on bottom a little bit. And Yanni feels like he has the most offense on his feet. So, you know, you can make a compelling argument for any of them, and none of us are talking about McKenna. Right. Which is insane. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, probably Jack will beat Hyo, and that will screw everything up next week, <laughs> you know. And then Hyle will beat Merritt at the Big 12s and just throw it into a snow globe. We'll see what happens. 
Yeah, I'd say, you know, Yanni, I, I was certainly impressed seeing him up close and in person. I mean, the, the beating that he put on Tommy Thorne uh, in the second duel of the tournament. Yeah. Um, man, that was impressive. He controlled things uh, for five minutes, and then uh, it was 4-1 going to the third, and the floodgates opened, and, and he put 14 points on the board in two minutes against Tommy Thorne, and it goes from – Four one to uh, eighteen to four. Yeah, and man, that guy has got a gas tank. And Rob Cole told me afterwards Saturday, he goes, "No, twenty nine years of coaching, I've never coached a guy who works harder." So he's when you when you've got he's coached a few good kids too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you've got that kind of uh, work ethic where you work yourself to exhaustion and and you've got that kind of skill level too, man, that's it's a pretty com- pretty tough combination to beat, but. Uh, well, it's going to be fun, and, uh, you know, he's certainly not the only true freshman we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. It's going to be really interesting to see what Iowa does with Spencer Lee. Yeah. Uh, I think that decision's coming down here. Uh, if it hasn't been made already, and I think it already has been made, I think, personally, I think Iowa is going to pull him out. I think we're going to see him in a black and gold singlet this month, um, and I think we're going to find out about that here pretty quick. But, uh that was interesting, David, what uh, Spencer Lee did at Midlands. Um, you know, second period tech fall against Sean Russell. Holy smokes. And then, yeah, yeah. you know, to go from the kind of offense that he put up in the early rounds of that tournament to getting shut down a little bit by Ronnie Bresser. Uh, man, Bresser, uh, boy, he's wrestled what now? Fix and Tomasello, or excuse me, Fix and Suriano and Spencer Lee. And I'm – not mistaken, I don't know that any of those guys have scored a takedown on him. You are correct. I was going to so, say that. Yeah. He's he's a fascinating guy at number nine. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's a guy you're like, the three guys you named are all big-time offensive guys on their feet. And, you know, he lost to all of them. Or, no, he beat Lee. Excuse beat me. Lee. But, I yep. mean, he lost to Fix 2-1 to one and lost to Soriano 2-1, to one, but... I mean, that's a guy that could go bracket buster on you. You know, like if he's a 9 or 10 seed and, you know, he wrestles somebody. Like, you know, he wrestled a Taylor Lamont who's a freshman. Like, that wouldn't shock you. Or Sebastian Rivera who's a freshman. Or a Drew Matten. It wouldn't shock you if a senior beat a freshman at Nationals. And then, you know, if, if he can, if his defense is that good and he wrestles a Tomasello or a Suriano or a Lezak, He's, that's an interesting guy, for sure. Really, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, anything else on the rankings front that you want to get to before no, no. we move on? Another week of turmoil next week, I'm sure. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Well, this podcast, David, is sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Well, David, we talked a little bit about the clash last week, and boy, Montini Catholic ran through that tournament like I haven't seen a team run through it in the past. 
I'm going to read these scores off real quick. 80 to nothing over Prior Lake, Minnesota. 72 to 6 over Simley. The only loss there was a fall against Cadet World Champion Daniel Kirkfleet. 63 to 6 over Apple Valley. The only loss there, a forfeit to Gable Stevenson. 53-21 over Park Hill, Missouri. And 47 to 9 over St. Edward. So you had eight losses on the weekend, five losses in contested matches. Montini Catholic, Israel Martinez's team, tremendous performance up in Minnesota. Had a chance to talk to Israel on the phone uh, Monday night. We're going to have a feature coming out on Montini Catholic and our high school insider coming out uh, this week. So be on the lookout for that. But, uh, you know, Izzy was saying that uh, he really wanted his team to make a statement up at the clash, and Montini Catholic certainly did that. Yeah, and shout-out to Mikey Benefield, um, who's the assistant coach, starting to kind of ran things this weekend because Izzy was actually at UFC coaching Holly Holm and, and Carlos Condit. And I know Mikey and his family real well. They spent a year at Merrimack, and just he loves those kids and works his fanny off, you know, side-by-side side with Israel. But it's really impressive. I mean, Park Hill's really good, and they they got beat like – they took the the best beating of all of them and still got hammered, which is crazy, you know, because they're a top. They just beat Broken Arrow in a duel a couple of weeks ago, so yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's frightening. Pretty impressive performance. Yep, yep. Yeah. And uh, you know, and talking to having a chance to talk to Izzy here, uh, not just this week, but uh, you know, about a month and a half ago when he was in town for uh, preseason nationals, he talked about all the young kids that are coming up in his program, guys that. Uh, uh, not just in the lower levels now uh, of high school, but but certainly in, in the middle school program as well. So I think, you know, watch out for Montini Catholic in the years to come. Certainly it's a program that's established itself as a top 10 national program for a long time now. But, uh, man, it's, it's up and running, and, and that machine is running pretty smoothly right now. Definitely, definitely. So, David, uh, anything else you want to get to before we, we look forward to what's on the docket this weekend? we got uh, North Carolina State and Oklahoma State coming up uh, over in Italy. Uh, we also have multi-divisional national duels coming up. Um, what else you got your eye on coming up this week? Uh, I mean, Wyoming, North Carolina, just, you know, Headley and – Meredith, and there's some other matchups in there, like, you know, Monday and uh, Branson or Colgan, those kind of guys. Uh, Nebraska, Illinois, I'll be interested to see how Nebraska bounces back. You know, they they took it on the chin against NC State. Arizona State wrestles North Carolina. Just, you know, kind of interesting matchups there. And then Ohio State, Rutgers. I don't know when Tomasello's coming back, but that would be definitely intriguing if that happened. And then if not, at least like Deshaun Campbell against uh, Richie Lewis, yep. you know, some of those other matchups like with Van Brill and, you know, just it's interesting because, like, I, I think people know this, but I don't do any team rankings. I do the 10 individual rankings, and it used to be then I had to add them up. You guys have created this super cool program now where I don't have to do that anymore. Um, so I just really, like, look at the duels or the meets for the individual stuff and, you know, th- these are ma- – NC State, Okie State's got all kinds of implications on what could happen there, you know, in a bunch of ways. 
but some of these other ones have some interesting ones as well. So, um, you know, and then, you know, finals and scuffle, you know, those will, those will have some impact as well, obviously. Anything else for us this week, David? Uh, well, I interviewed Obi Blanc. I think he's coming out probably today or tomorrow. Yep. And then um, I just spoke to Kendall Cross, and he's going to come on the show. And um, I'm so old, Kendall Cross took me out on my recruiting visit to Oklahoma State. So <laughs> that was kind of fun to rehash that. And uh, him and Corey Bays took me around, so that was fun. He has some really unique ideas on uh, on learning, and uh, we just kind of touched on them. And uh, I'm really excited. I'm going to interview him Friday. I'm sure I'll probably go up, you know, Sunday, something like that. So um, Obi was really, really good as well. But it's a... Uh, I guess the coach in me is always really, really fortunate to listen to how smart these guys are and how they look at things a little bit differently. And it's, it's, uh, it, that part's really been enjoyable for me. Well, before we depart, David, some sad news, tragic news in the track wrestling family. Uh, I don't know that uh, a lot of our listeners would know Greg Wallace personally, but you've probably read his work over the course of the last two years. Greg did an incredible job for us as our uh, one of our freelancers covering the SOCON uh, and the MAC conference last year. Just poured his heart and soul into uh, his work on those two conferences. He transitioned over uh, to covering the High School Insider Notebook for us this week. No matter what we asked of him, uh, he went above and beyond. Uh, tragic news last week. I got to Florida, got a text that Greg had passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. Uh, at the age of 39, he was uh, would have turned 40 on New Year's Day. Him and his girlfriend had planned a trip to uh, San Diego to celebrate uh, the new year and to celebrate his 40th birthday. So a stunner indeed, a guy that uh, I got to know back when we were in college together. He covered uh, University of Iowa wrestling for a year in college. He was kind of always on the periphery of co uh, covering wrestling. Went away for a little while, covered Alabama football, Clemson football, uh, and then came back home to Iowa here in the last uh, three or four years, four or five years, excuse me, and uh, had been doing a lot of wrestling coverage as a freelancer, not just for us, but for the Des Moines Register, for Wynn Magazine, for the predicament here in Iowa, and uh, um, just uh, crushing news, yeah. a tremendous guy, and as I mentioned, uh, just irreplaceable for, for the work that he did for us. And uh, I want to send my deepest condolences to his family and, and uh, certainly uh, a lot of people hurting over this news. Um, myself included it's it's been a tough week so i uh, just wanted uh, everybody to know um you know a little bit about greg's story and and uh, what he meant to track wrestling so again our deepest condolences to the wallace family it's really well said um you spoke about him to me uh when i first started here and on a regular basis on what a, a great job he did and uh, how much respect for respect you had for him as a, a person and as as a reporter. So um, it's there's there's no words, right? You know, it's just right. it's tragic. So um, you know, but I'm sure he's looking down on you and proud of what you're doing. And I know you guys had a great friendship. So my condolences go out to you as well, Andy. Well, thank you very much, David. 
I hate to end the show on that note, but uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Weighing In. For David Mercatani, I'm Andy Hamilton. Thank you, as always, for your time and insight, David. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to all for tuning in to this week's episode of Weighing In. We'll be back next week.